0: And welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I'm your host, CJ. I'm JJ. And today I'm very excited. We have a very wonderful, beautiful, and special guest today, Miss Ayanna Davis. She, uh, uh, She has an online presence known as Phenomenally Autistic. She's an author, an artist, and an autism advocate. So I'm really excited to have her on and to talk about her journey today. Um, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes that, you know, we've just gotten an ASD uh, diagnosis here with our oldest and she wanted to come on and, and say hi to Ayana before we started here because she was. we were watching some of her videos and I told Naomi that, you know, Ayana is an author, an artist and was showing her some of her work and Naomi just lit up and and uh, says, you know, my superpower is, is creativity and, and being an artist. So uh, it just lit her up uh, to see you and your confidence and your work, Ayana. So that was really cool to see. And I'm just really excited to dive in here with you and, and talk about your journey. So how are you today?
1: I'm great, I'm great.
0: Good, good. So yeah, tell me about uh, Phenomenally Autistic. What is this and, and what do you do and, and why?
1: Um, Well, I am an autistic artist and an autism advocate. So um, I create art and I express myself through art. Um, I express my advocacy through art. Um, I'm a children's book author and illustrator. Um, I believe since the last time we spoke, it was um, 23 books, but now it's 27. So um, I'm just churning them out. (laughs) But um, I mainly advocate for more visibility of Black autistic women. Um, When I write articles, that's what I write about. Um, I feel like um, we're not given the resources that, you know, other people are given when they're given their autism diagnosis. So um, that's what I advocate for most. And I'd like to see more articles about Black autistic women. and. Um, like I said, more visibility, because I feel like everybody should get the same treatment.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you say that, because um, before you hopped on with us, too, JJ and I were kind of having this talk, and as we started our evaluation process with Naomi, that was something that we were told uh, about from a few different uh, pediatricians and evaluators. You know, the the statistics revolving around uh, diagnosis uh, with ASD and then what that looks like in girls and then what that looks like in girls of color, you know, yeah. and h- how lower those di- uh, uh, diagnoses can be. So yeah, wh- why, why is that? Or wh- what's your experience with that? why is the diagnosis Um, so drastic in that
1: well one of the reasons is that girls have better masking skills which that's just basically um being able to blend in better and hide your autism traits and another reason is that like um since the face of autism is usually a white little child you never really think that girls can be autistic I was a late diagnosis, a late diagnosed autistic. I was only evaluated about seven years ago. So I was like the senior citizen. Mm. I'm a millennial. So I was like the senior citizen of diagnosis. So um, Black women are usually not diagnosed, misdiagnosed, or late diagnosed. A lot of times Mm. um, we're diagnosed as bipolar or schizophrenic. Um, I'm not either, but I was put on medication for bipolar which actually like destroyed my body. Um, my thyroid exploded and it, it just like really took a number on my body. And now I'm on other medications because of that medications that destroyed me. So um, we, we've been through a lot with um, just the process of like finding the medication to help just make things easier for me and help control my autism treats just so I can um, have a better quality of life.
0: Yeah. What do, I'm, I'm interested to hear about that uh, kind of later diagnosis, too. Um, mm-hmm. I recently went on a journey too. our, our whole journey and our family started with um, we thought maybe uh, Namie was expressing some neurodivergence and like ADHD tendencies. So we went to go get her evaluated for ADHD, um, which was a process, too. And we, we had to be we had to advocate uh, for her you know, through the school system, they didn't want to pay for it. They didn't think anything was quote unquote wrong. And I hate using that, that that term wrong, you know, Uh, exactly. (laughs) I, I, you know, like, so let's discuss as we go on what, what better, what better air quotes we can use for that (laughs) other than wrong. Yeah. I always
1: say that. I'm like, I always knew that something was different and I was like, people always said something was wrong, but I knew that nothing was wrong with me.
0: Yes, we, we've never seen anything wrong with Naomi. We've just seen that there are some different ways of analyzing yeah, the world and, and taking in information. So it just takes more effort on us as the adults to, to ask the right questions and to really kind of feed that curiosity, you know? And um, so advocating for her through the school system was difficult and something that we had to be very persistent about. And uh, I also started uh, an an evaluation process for myself for ADHD because it's something that I always felt I had um, that was never really given the attention to. And as we started this process with her, I wanted to understand that evaluation process. I wanted to understand myself. So I recently got my own neurodivergent um, uh, diagnosis as she's going along and getting hers. So I'm curious, like what, what did that look like for you? And why did you decide to take that step later in life? Um, What brought you to that decision seven years ago, rather than maybe 10, 15?
1: Um, It was, I I actually wasn't pursuing it. It was, it was an accident. Um, I was in the hospital. Um, I am chronically ill. So I was in the hospital And um, I wasn't like responding to my doctors. I really wasn't speaking or making eye contact or just, just everything was just, I was just like kind of shut down. So um, they had a, like a psych evaluation team come in and I wasn't responding to them either. So then they brought like a whole treatment team in and they did like a full evaluation. And then they came back and they told my dad and they told my doctors it was like yeah she's on the spectrum so that's how we learned and I was like I'm not autistic that's for white people so like we just didn't know anything about autism because I always say this I'm like when you think of autism you don't think of a black woman like especially a black grown woman you think of little white boys so it was it was completely by accident. We were so taken back, and for a long time, I was in denial. Like even a year later, I was still like, "I'm not autistic." But that that just made made me suffer more. So when I finally accepted it, you know, then I decided to go to the therapies, which my dad had to find because we weren't given any resources. It was like, "Here's your diagnosis. Go home, have fun, live your life, but you're autistic." So my dad had to find therapies that worked for me um, because we're not a fan of ABA therapy. So um, we decided. Can you,
0: can you pause real quick and, and describe yes. what ABA therapy is for us?
1: Um, yes, it's a therapy that um, it's, I never get this right. It's um, it acquired behavioral. I can't get it. I never get it right, but I can just, I can explain it to you. Um, It's a therapy where the children or the adult goes to and they try to teach behaviors, like teach neurotypical behaviors and actually force neurotypical behaviors on neurodivergent children, especially autistic children, um, which has been proven to give autistic children and adults PTSD. So a lot of autistic adults in the actually autistic community, we don't support that because, you know, why continue to traumatize a new generation of autistic children? So that's just one therapy that we don't support really in the autism community. So my dad um, did find a few therapies that work for me because sometimes you do need a few therapies. Um, I'm about to start occupational therapy because of my sensory overload and my sensitivities to light and touch and taste but um the sound thing is like really kind of out of control right now so i'm about to start at occupational therapy which is i'm like i'm not i want to go to that it's for kids but i have to do that but um cbt therapy which is cognitive behavioral therapy dbt therapy which is dialectical behavioral therapy and um those were good for me because they teach you to be mindful Which gives you less anxiety. So it kind of just like teaches you to live in the moment because most neurodivergent people, we just like live in anxiety, Um, you know, and even people with ADHD can't sit still. So, um, and it's just like chaotic in our brains, chaos all day. So, those are the therapies that have helped me. And, but it's really like um, trial and error. There, There are so many different therapies, even therapies that are not like um traditionally for autistic people might help so what might work for one person may not work for another person so it really is about the individual person the individual child
0: yeah i totally agree and through our journey in this process i don't think that there's one all be all solution to fix everybody's you know a- autism diagnosis or and that's the thing i think that that's what i just said there I, we, we we say it in a mindset of it needs to be fixed and it's yeah. so wrong you know like that's, it's so that's, wrong. that's
1: that's why we it, don't support um aba therapy because they're trying to fix you they're trying yes. to force neurotypical behaviors on you so that's you know basically why we don't support it that's probably why i don't remember the, what the ABA stands for because yeah. I just pushed it out of my mind so much. Yeah,
0: you're, you're right. It's a very selfish way of, you know, you need to operate in in what I consider mm-hmm. normal yeah. or what I consider socially acceptable and, mm-hmm. and not exploring what this uh, person has to bring to the table in forms of perspective and communication. You know, and it's just such a miss that I think a lot of educators and evaluators and, and behavior therapists miss on this, you know, it's how can we get these kids to operate with the rest of society, rather than like exploring and accepting and, 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 and acknowledging and celebrating what is unique about it. You know, so what did this show up for you earlier in life prior to your diagnosis?
1: You know, Um, well, since I'm an artist, like it kind of slipped through the cracks because, you know, artists, you know, we're eccentric and we stay and live in our own world. So as a child, I was very withdrawn, but I was I was always like drawing and just doing my own thing. So they were like, oh, well, you know, she's not shy, but she just likes to be left alone and she likes to draw. So that was like before before even before kindergarten. So in school, you know, I never really, I got bullied and I never really had a lot of friends, but you know, I had art, that was my escape. So that's what I gravitated toward. Um, then I got um, into all types of art programs. My parents put me into um, therapy. So I did theater for a while. So it was like any type of artistry is what I escaped. That's where I went to escape. So again, they are just like, if she's an artist, um, she's carefree, like an artist. Artists do their own thing. She she's learning lines. She's uh, memorizing manuscripts. Just leave her. So it was like I felt like they just thought that I'm just like engulfed in artistry. My teenage years, um, I started a dance program, and then I was still working with the theater group. So it was always art. I ran to my art. I got lost in my art. I I hid behind my art. So I believe that's why it was not caught by anybody. Um, I believe the teacher just thought I was shy or it was just like neglect on the teacher's um, end. But um, so I think that's why it just nobody caught it. Like my grandmother, she was so protective. Anybody said anything like, well, I said hi to her and she didn't say hi back. She used to just be like, y'all yeah, better leave her alone. So um, it, it just it just kind of like it was always like she didn't say hi. I said hi to her. She didn't say hi back. But I just used to, like, you know, get some pens, some crayons, some paper, and just go get in my own little world and draw. Um, Everybody used to think I was just a picky eater when it was just like, I can't tolerate this texture of food. Um, I didn't like loud music. I didn't like crowds. So they just used to be like, well, that's just how she is. So and then back then, it was like, we didn't even, we haven't even heard about autism. So it was just like, we don't, we don't know what's wrong with
0: her. I'm curious. Cause you said when you got this diagnosis that you were like, you know, that's not me. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, and I'm curious, was there, where are you at with it now? And was there a tipping point where you owned it rather than feared it?
1: Um, yes. Like after about a year, because I was still like, I was torturing myself, but once I accepted it, I feel like, I felt like it was like the most beautiful thing. And, you know, I just started going online and trying to research it. But when I was doing like research, it was like, I was not seeing a lot of black faces. I definitely wasn't seeing a lot of black women. And like now, you know, I'm seeing a little bit more. So there's progress being made, but there's still a long way to go. But that's why I decided to start advocating because I didn't see enough black faces. Um, and this was about three years ago. Um, you can i don't really count the pandemic because you know i wasn't really doing much during the pandemic but trying to stay sane like everybody else trying to stay busy find ways to keep myself busy but um yeah i didn't i didn't see any anybody that was like me so if i didn't see anybody that was like me you know little black autistic girls definitely didn't see anybody that was like them so you know you don't want the generation coming up to be put through what you're your put through so once I accepted it life just became easier
0: yeah that's really beautiful that you say that and I appreciate that and that's why I wanted to talk to you because there aren't a lot of uh black faces out there in the community uh talking about this um and you know is this something that you f- maybe felt empowered by in 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 any way or was it something that you kind of feared until you learned more about and how did learning about that help you? Because I'm, I'm thinking about my daughter here. And, um, when we were going through ADHD, uh, evaluations, for some reason she did not want ADHD, you know, <laughs> she was like, I don't want it. You know, you have it, it's weird. I don't understand it. But when we got the autism diagnosis and we started talking to her about that and how we notice that it maybe shows up in her life and she actually seems to really kind of latch onto it and and be empowered by it, and really seem to have some like oh that's me moments oh hey I do that or I have trouble with that or that is difficult for me or oh I am good at that you know and it really kind of seemed to give her some autonomy of like I'm, i I can own this, you know, even when we were looking at some of your videos and, and talking about you beforehand. And I said, yeah, she, she has autism just like you, you were just diagnosed with that. Right. And she said, yeah, you know, is, is that why she's so good at, at drawing and being creative? You know? And I said, yeah, you know, that's probably your guys' superpower, you know? And it was just a really kind of cool thing to see as a parent, to see her, almost get excited about it or just to feel some like attachment to it or like reflecting to her own self and be like, oh, that that's maybe what's going on or wow, okay, that it it's not something that, that something is quote unquote wrong with me or, or, you know, different. It's just that now I have a way of identifying with it and understanding it better. And I'm just curious what your maybe experience was throughout that process. Um,
1: when I started to accept it, um I just felt that it was it was just something it wasn't just something that was a part of me it was who I was so you have to accept who you are and once you accept who you are you love yourself more when you love yourself more um you gain more confidence and when you have more confidence you can speak up for yourself more so um it just it just made everything better it made life more beautiful it made me look at life differently um through a whole different lens so um you just have to accept it and learn as much about it as you can and you can see that it's it's not the end of the world and it's not a terrible thing and everybody is different so um you know show up as yourself and and you'll you'll like yourself better
0: yeah thank you for that um i'm gonna i'm gonna tell my daughter those exact words later today when we get off because that was going to be my next question is if you could go back and, and talk to nine-year-old Diana you know what, what what would you say to her uh in trying to understand this and to give confidence and that was very well said and, and beautifully articulated so so thank you and I think that that is something that um every little black girl needs to hear if they're going through this process to uh to celebrate this and to to lean into it rather than shy away from it and i think that that's been very empowering in in our house to try to have that sort of mentality and that that sort of focus throughout this process so uh i appreciate you 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 saying that
1: you're most welcome
2: i uh i i really love the 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 conversation and how it revolves around the individual and you know you mentioned earlier uh advocating for the community and saying this type of therapy is actually not what works well for my community and then you mentioned how when you received the diagnosis you had a little bit of hesitation with acceptance because you know what you had seen up to that point maybe didn't exactly align with who you are so i love the i love the ability to have a community of like-minded people who also have their own individual advocacy points that they want to make for themselves and then of course you know scale it out and say this is what the community uh, feels in response to what somebody who doesn't quite understand looking in what we experience. Um, So when you, when you go about advocacy for the community and advocacy for yourself and then advocacy for, you know, women of color in this, what does that look like? How do you, how do you navigate around advocacy and what, what has been the response from others and how would you like them to kind of maybe evolve their understanding of your advocacy for the individual
1: um, well, I always tell everyone that um, you know I'm I, you know I'm a I'm basically a self-advocate but a lot of people can relate to what I'm saying and I have a lot of support from the Ashley Autistic community. Um, I have a lot of support from parents because they always tell me that I help them understand what their child is going through. Um, it gets hard sometimes you know you get the trolls who have a lot of things to say. You know, they're like, look at black women making everything about themselves. And I'm like, okay, just go away. But then you, you have like the parents who tell them that, uh, tell me that, um, you know, I give them hope for their, for their child. So, you know, things like that is, is what keeps me going because it's not always, you know, smiles and pretty pictures and um, um, just happiness all the time. It does get hard and exhausting and overwhelming but you have the things that keep you going just like with anything else um, I have a lot of support from the autistic community I have a lot of allies um, you know of course I have all the support from my dad um, he um, learned he, he was learning while I was learning um, he also apologized and I have his permission to share with this um, he also apologized to me for just thinking that I was being mean to people when I was just having anxiety and I was overwhelmed, um, so he he you know he he's very apologetic about when he wasn't understanding my behaviors.
0: Yeah, that's that's powerful because um, you know, man, I I think we fall into that trap as parents in trying to understand what's going on, or we we. See, we have all these external opinions coming on and what normalcy looks like or what, you know, a good family should look like or a functional, healthy dynamic and when we when we let those opinions in, it's so easy to just drown in that, you know, and and to forget that you know, it looks different in each family and especially with neurodivergent um, you know, when it shows up in a family, we we have to be attentive And I'm just speaking through my own experience of when we did get this 88 page report about the evaluation process and we talked with the evaluator on the phone for two hours about all of these things that showed up and, you know, it was very humbling and eye opening to me as a parent and just this aha moment of like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been so strict or disciplinary on some of these things or wanted it wanted her to react or respond a certain way you know, because things need to get done We're parents We're trying to go from A to B and not have to go through Z, Y, and X on the way there. And sometimes that can get difficult when you have sensory issues and you're 20 minutes late because pants on the skin can cause these certain things. Tags. And, you know, we're not, or socks, you know, gosh, we have the argument about socks every single day. You know, it never changes. And we always have to explain why socks are important, but it's always a thing, you know. And sometimes That's we why can just like get... the summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My daughter, too. It's sandal season, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, but when we don't have an understanding as parents, it can get frustrating and maddening, and we can get lost in the impatience of it. And when I went through this report and heard all of these things, and this is why, and this is how it shows up and your daughter, it was just like, oh my God, I just, I've been missing the ball on this. I, I, why would I, I've been so hard and, and it was humbling to just see that this is just how her brain operates. And it's not her job to get on my page about it. And like we said, teach her, you know, neurotypical ways. You know i have as the parent and as the maturer one that has a maybe bigger understanding about what's going on i have to be the one to pause it restate the question do it with a different tone of voice or in a way that encourages her curiosity and understanding of the world rather than saying just like no do it because i said so or x y or z you know and uh so i'm really you know, it's, it's great. And and to hear that your dad has been so, you know, taking the accountability with that and and, and apologizing that, um, you know, us millennials, our our parents generations aren't known known for that. So it's always encouraging and really refreshing to hear when when a parent can really accept responsibility and accountability for that and, and, uh, you know, show that they want to have a different way of, of communicating with you and analyzing the world.
1: Yeah, because sometimes also we don't know what's right and what's wrong because um, I was actually um, bullied by a teacher. She choked me when I was in the second grade. Um, She was actually, um, she was a substitute teacher. So like my regular teacher knew that I learned differently. So the substitute teacher got frustrated with me because I was asking a lot of questions. Um, She didn't understand that I learned differently. So by the end of the day she was so frustrated with me because I asked so many questions and she just like she just choked me and she was like I'm tired of you and she just choked me and I didn't know that that was wrong. I just knew that I didn't like the way it felt. So I didn't tell my dad. One of my friends actually ended up telling him and you know they went and they handled the situation but I didn't know it was wrong. So when I was speaking to one of my Um, One of the mothers that I'm in communication with, I told her, I was like, um, sometimes when you ask your child um, how their day was, maybe ask them, how did people make you feel? Because I knew I didn't like the way it felt, but I didn't know that if she was right or wrong.
0: Yeah, I think um, keeping conversations in our household around feelings And like maybe defying what those feelings are or how they make you feel or what exactly the emotion is or what the trigger was for that emotional response has been really important. I think that like uh, through the most successful conversations we've had in our house has been around that, you know, it's not uh, you need to do this or this is right or this is wrong. It's been like, well, let's talk about your feelings, how that expresses itself, why you're feeling that you know, how big of a a feeling, you know, may be necessary for this thing or why you're feeling that type of emotion for this kind of thing. And just helping our kids understand the things that they're feeling and why has been really crucial into understanding, you know, why we have these moments or or how to get through them when they may be feeling overwhelming, you know? um, So I just like what, when you're, maybe having an emotional fit or, or something uh, where something seems too overstimulating for you, what are the things that help you calm you down or, or kind of help you regulate in your own way?
1: Um, well, I'm more of a shutdown person than a meltdown person. So when I have shutdowns, this is exactly what I do. I shut down. Um, sometimes all I need is a nap. Sometimes I just need to be like completely left alone. And, um, you know, I'll read, I'll draw, of course, just do the things that keep me relaxed. Um, you know, if meltdowns, like I told people, I was like, my meltdowns just look like I'm cursing somebody out. So like everybody that knows me, they know that I don't just go around cursing people out and they're like, no, she's having a meltdown. Just leave her alone. So, um, with a meltdown, you just have to let the person see it through. Um, trying to like negotiate or tell them to calm down that just makes it worse you just really have to let them get through it unless they're trying to harm themselves and that's when you step in but um those types of things they're uncontrollable behaviors and as long as you know we're not trying to hurt ourselves we just have to get through it on our own
0: and how did you uncover what things worked for you Did you kind of Um, just know or know know thyself, or was there maybe a process or someone to kind of help you determine what those things looked like and and how they helped you?
1: um, Well, I've always had the shutdowns. Um, When I had the meltdowns, people were just like, she's so disrespectful, and why does she talk to people like that, not knowing they were meltdowns? So I've always known that I've had these fits or whatever, but now I know there were meltdowns and I've always had the shutdowns, but it was just like, why am I so tired? Why am I excluding myself from the world? So I knew because I've always had them and I always knew that like what helped me. So, you know, it's kind of by accident. I just always knew what worked because I've always had them. So now that I know their meltdowns and shutdowns, I had already knew what helped me because I already had them. I just now knew what they were.
2: How does uh how does somebody uh show care and compassion for you when you are receiving maybe overstimulation and you're trying to manage via a shutdown or, or meltdown? What what helps you feel seen and heard?
1: Um just just like maybe a conversation about maybe what brought it on, but sometimes you don't know what brings it on, and sometimes it can be brought on by nothing. But me personally, I can kind of feel it coming on. I can feel when I'm being overstimulated. So I'll ask for the space, you know. So um, most of the time I'm given the space. You know, there, there are the narcissists and the people who are like, no, um, you, you need this, you need that. And then they pay for it. <laughs> but um, I can usually feel when I'm being overstimulated. It can be for no reason. It can be um, something coming up that I'm anxious about but i know that i need to remove myself and be by myself so i i know and i ask for space so and then if you don't give me the space you pay for it so
0: <laughs> and how did you kind of come to that realization about yourself and and knowing those triggers in yourself and needing to ask for the space because i ask this because selfishly because uh you know this is something that in conversations with with my daughter i see Um, you know, I struggle with articulating to her that, you know, I'm I'm not trying to get the message across, like, don't feel your feelings, or you can't feel your feelings or feel them in a different way. I don't want to create any sort of like shame or blame when she has meltdowns. But I do feel like it's my job as a parent to try to convey or communicate in as healthy way as possible. It's that it's okay to feel the emotions, but maybe the way that we display them can have some consequences or be destructive in our personal lives. So getting her to realize that without the shame part is something that we really have to pause and, and articulate on, you know, because I I don't I I don't want her to lose friends or 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 have Uh, destructive consequences because she doesn't realize that just, you know, vomiting emotions can, can have those consequences.
1: Um, If she, if she can feel them coming on and if she can feel like she's getting overstimulated, you can speak to her and tell her to remove herself. And um, hopefully she's able to do that. Hopefully she has an accommodating teacher that can give her a quiet space so she can not blow up on her friends because it is, it's an uncontrollable behavior. But if she can, if she knows she's getting overstimulated, she can ask for the space and hopefully, you know, her teacher can accommodate her, even if she's just going to the nurse's office.
2: So I I had a question that's been kind of just on my mind for a bit here is, um, so what are some limitations uh, placed on, like specifically the autistic community, and then, you know, in, in the case of uh, uh, women who have uh, ASD, what's a, what's a limitation placed on that community uh, that you would like to see change?
1: Um, well, sometimes people like put limitations on you just when they learn you're autistic, they automatically assume that you can't do anything. Um, like everybody's care needs are different. So, everybody is gonna be able to do different things. like people automatically assume that I don't drive just because I'm autistic, but that's not the reason I don't drive. I don't drive because I can't go like a year without being unconscious. So don't automatically assume that autism they put the blame on what people can't do, everything on autism, and that's not why. um they assume that like autistic people can't get jobs. When I hear autism, it's, you can't do nothing. You, you're never going to achieve anything. You're not going to go far in life. And there are autistic doctors, nurses, lawyers, astronauts, like every field, there are autistic people. You just may know it. They may not know it themselves. So the limitations are, are just that. As soon as they learn you're autistic, they limit you. And I always tell people, don't let anybody limit you and don't limit yourself.
0: Do you find that that limitation uh, creates a little bit of, like, you know, like confidence issues about owning the diagnosis, talking about the diagnosis? Do you see maybe in the community people, are they willing to share that diagnosis with, with people outside of the community? Or is it something that they maybe kind of shy away from because of the stigma or the cultural, you know, ramifications
1: um, I, I heard a lot of people, and I've spoken to a lot of people who, um, they're not, they're, like, closeted autistics, so, like, outside of, like, the autism community, like, they're, some of them are teachers, their students don't know they're autistic, their, um, their coworkers don't know they're autistic, so a lot of them don't feel confident enough to tell like their families even, and other people in their friend circle, they don't have like the confidence to tell anybody else that they're autistic. And some people proudly flaunt that they're autistic, like me. Um, But you know, sometimes even when I told my friends that I was autistic, they was like, we black and I was like okay but I'm autistic <laughs> but when I was talking to them <laughs> when I was talking to them it was like well you know it does kind of make sense now and I was like okay it is kind of making sense right so um I feel yeah. like there is some shame with with some people like there was and, with me that first year
0: and what do you tell people uh that maybe express some of that shame to you because like you said you seem pretty pretty vocal and confident about it being an advocate you know you you talk about it yeah so maybe what 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 would you maybe say to somebody that's maybe feeling a little bit of shame
1: um I just basically share my story you know you don't want to put pressure on people and um tell them how to live their life because people might get like disowned by their family you don't really know what people have going on you don't know how their family life is some cultures don't like accept you if you have disabilities or if you have disorders and different conditions so it is different with everybody so i just basically tell my story and um you know share certain videos of mine and you know tell them there's nothing wrong with being autistic you know if you can be yourself then be yourself
0: you know one thing i i wanted to touch on too that i heard you uh say earlier that i really wanted to celebrate was the, the piece about like going out and, and being, getting involved in the community, you know, and, and searching those, that, those sort of resources and that support and understanding. Um, because, you know, uh, JJ and I do a, a parenting call for, for kids with neurodivergent stuff. And, and we have a lot of parents that come from a lot of different aspects of life between, ADHD and ODD and autism, all three levels to, you know, all sorts of different neurodivergent stuff that comes from all walks of life. And some of the things that I've heard a majority of those parents talk about is, well, you know, well, now that we have this diagnosis, I don't want to enroll them in some sort of program or school or class with other neurodivergent kids because they may not be on the same level As my neurodivergent kid, and I don't want them picking up bad habits or tendencies from these other neurodivergent kids. So a lot of parents almost seem to want to shy away from getting involved in the community and getting that support because, again, they have this preconceived stigma to it from, you know, the 80s definition of what autism looked like in Rain Man or whatever. And they think that 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 just goes all over. Yeah, you know. That's so
1: irritating. The Rain Man thing, like when I told some people that I'm autistic, they're like, "Oh, well, I saw Rain Man," and I'm like, "Well, I'm not Rain Man." That, is like the Rain Man thing, they need to leave that alone.
0: Yeah, yeah, and well, I, I, you know, and it's evolved so much over the years to where you know, when Rain Man came out, that's what autism was, right? Mm-hmm. That that was it, and now we know that it's it's a broad spectrum, you know, that goes. A lot of different neurodivergent traits, from ADHD to, to Asperger's to nonverbal, you know, and uh, it, it ranges, and it's all the same thing in just different different areas of it, and you know, I, I I think it's just such a miss that parents miss in giving their kids the resources and support that really could be beneficial because we do have this societal preconceived notion of what it is and how it should show up so when you hear maybe a a new diagnosis of your own kid and you just automatically go to one side of the spectrum and say well you know this is life now rather than you know being open-minded and and curious to again what other people may be experiencing on different areas of the spectrum and what those experiences can teach us for positive resources and, and healthy outlets for helping our own kids in and, and our own you know uh, situations with ASD.
1: I feel that also um, since they' they're like, a lot of the time it's just their ignorance and they don't really mean any harm. And since they they only have one image of autism, which is Rain Man, If they did like a little bit of research, they'd see other people who are autistic, who are flourishing in life. Go search the actually autistic hashtag on social media. You'll find all types of autistic people in all different types of situations and careers. So just getting the diagnosis and going nuts and saying you don't want your kid around other autistic kids. Well, maybe somebody might feel that way about you and might not want their kid around your child so how do you feel about somebody saying that about your child so um people can be a little more open-minded and things will work out better
0: yeah honestly i think that uh this process has been a beautiful experience for me because it has taught me to be more accommodating and open-minded you know where J.J. and I were just talking about this a couple of episodes ago with, um, you know, his his little one getting excluded from, you know, community events or friends' houses because of the way that, you know, Cohen's neurodivergence shows up in social situations. And, you know, they've experienced some bullying and, you know, not being invited back to the party, you know, kind of thing. And uh, we've really gotten into... What a shame it is that you know, and, and I've fallen victim of this before. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. My ignorance and my inexperience in this field up until now, uh, I was kind of, you know, in the mindset of like when you see a kid maybe having an emotional meltdown or or a fit or overstimulation and how that expresses itself. I was in the mentality of what's wrong with that kid,
1: or like, give that kid a beat and pop yeah, that kid. You know, that kid's not Get getting disciplined.
0: And, and that's something yeah. that I deal with, with with my family, too, is, you know, uh, and before we got this diagnosis that, you know, they would see uh, our oldest behavior and say, you're not being strict enough with her. You got to be yeah. harder on her, I, you I know, and like... I was like, I don't think that that's the answer. I think that there's something else going on here that needs attention rather than more discipline. You yeah, know, and, people and...
1: should people should definitely, you know, if, if you're out in the store, like if you're in target and you see a child having a hard time don't just stare or don't make comments maybe you can ask the parent is there anything I can do and if they yeah. say no keep going mind your business keep going
0: yeah yeah and I just I, I I feel a lot of shame and guilt thinking about some of my you know some past interactions where there was maybe a, a kid that was a little bit different or or operated in a different way and I maybe just wrote them off as being weird or difficult you know and now I think here everybody
1: I, everybody has done that because I, I've done that, you know, I've like, since I have like the sound sensitivities, if a kid would scream and I'd be like, Oh my God, shut that kid up just because of like, for my own selfish reasons, because I couldn't deal with the sound. But now I'm a little more like apologetic because, um, you know, I know that people have things going on. And if I see a child and I'm like, well, maybe there's something going on there. Maybe he, he's like has a neurodivergency or some other type of challenge where he can't control it he or she and you know i'm a little i'm well i'm a lot more sympathetic and because it's hard for the parents too and the whole situation is hard for everybody so now that i know more about um disabilities and this um children who are different people who are different i'm more educated now so um I can give my sympathy and I know like now I can kind of tell um, when something's different or when, when someone's different or there, there's might be something there. So I'm not like, shut that kid up. I just put my noise canceling headphones on and go on about my way.
2: Yeah, I, wanna, I just want to honor you and, and celebrate you and the lens that you bring to the world and your advocacy. It's, it's, it's quite a remarkable thing. We are very grateful for that. And uh,
1: thank you, you know, so we, much.
2: We talked about uh, ignorance and, you know, fear. And I think the two of those sometimes play, you know, uh, you know, a similar role in people and they want to be in their safe space. And, you know, my brother, uh, he's nonverbal, autistic. And uh, so he he very much has a certain type of structure to his day that creates a certain sense of comfort for him. And when he was young, he was definitely trying to explore the world. And it was a lot of challenge for him and we were not understanding. In fact, I shared this in a previous episode. Uh <laughs> this wasn't long after that Rain Man movie had come out and the local newspaper decided to interview my parents with, you know, with my brother there and and then the headline was autism not just in the movies. So even that headline you could tell was a, a headline that had a lot of loaded, you know, concepts of ignorance and fear yeah. t- you know to it. Um and then my grandparents came to visit and my, my grandfather had a very old school mentality on how children need to be disciplined. And of course, he was going based on already a, a, a large level of ignorance toward even just the population, at, you know, as a whole. And so my my brother acted in a certain way because he was what I believe overstimulated in the moment. So he wasn't trying to act out and be rebellious. He was acting on his impulses. he knew how to cope. And my yeah. grandfather hit him, you know, spanked him. And then my brother started crying. And, and you know, I, as a little kid, it was very young witnessing this. I said, you know, he, uh, he doesn't know what you're doing. He doesn't know, you know, he doesn't understand why you're hitting him. And, and uh, my grandpa said, well, he needs to learn. And of course, you know, especially looking back now, I can say that that was a form of ignorance, something that he's applying because he was afraid of my brother And what he didn't understand about my brother. So I guess the question that I'm trying to ask for anybody is how do we, you know, especially in advocacy, how do we get that message out there? That beautiful thing that you said, you know, is everybody has their own path that they're on. How do we not only accept that, but maybe show curiosity and kindness and compassion toward that? You know, you mentioned the hashtag on social media. That's great, but a lot of people don't seek that out until they find themselves in in a place of discomfort. And even then, sometimes they retreat rather than show curiosity.
1: Um, I think that um, asking asking more questions instead of making assumptions. If you have, I mean, I feel like everybody knows somebody who's disabled. Um, Ask, can you help? Uh, And just that alone, you'll learn just from that experience. Um, Just try to find ways to educate yourself, even if you have absolutely no reason to educate yourself because you don't know a disabled person, but most people do know somebody who's disabled. And um, with your brother, you said about structure, that's absolutely true. I have a to-do list every day and it's just called my daily routine. And if I miss one thing off of it, like when my dad is around, I'm like, I didn't do this today off of my to-do list. And he's like, Okay, calm down. Um, so what was it that you didn't do? And I'll tell him, and he was like, Okay, well just put it back on there for tomorrow and try again tomorrow. So, you know, he he, he understands and but you know, he he knows how to, you know, speak with me and um, get me to understand more things. The structure is very important and with your grandfather coming over that interrupted his structure because grandpa's not there every day. you, you You're here at my house interrupting my structure. So um, he wasn't misbehaving. You came and you interrupted his structure. So it was a, a very big in- ignorance.
2: Yeah, and I just, I really appreciate that your father has, you know, really taken the time and dedication to understand you as a person, just simply saying, you know, let's put that on the list for tomorrow. What I hear there is, I see you, I hear that this is important to you. I don't want to skip that. I want to make light of that and you know showing that to you and, and acknowledging you, I think that's that's incredibly valuable and I want everybody who, who listens to kind of take a step back and say what is also going on here with this person? Why does this matter? And and they matter to me. I want to understand them at a deeper level, not just simply because hey, I'm I'm upset because I didn't get my way. No, there's probably something, a message underneath yeah. there that they're, they have a story within them that they're, they're trying to explain about what makes their life comfortable, joyful, happy. And how do we, how do we be compassionate toward that?
1: He's he's very like, overprotective. Even when people, cause some questions are like, it's okay to ask questions, but it's the way you ask them because I can't cross the street by myself and People just find that like so unbelievable and they're like she can't cross the street by herself, but it's because I have like a sensory delay. So I think that like I think I have 20 seconds for the car before the car comes, but I don't have that much time. The car is already here. So he's just making sure that I can't I don't get hit by a damn car. So um, people just make assumptions and they don't want to be educated. Like if you ask why, we'll probably tell you why. So, I mean, pretty much everybody knows that I have some sensory that I have sensory delays that I have like developmental delays. I'm not on the level of my peers. So you can just ask us. We don't have a problem telling you we don't have no shame. Um, we do some things to avoid bullying because, you know, I had enough bullying in school, you know, always pick last for things or not picked at all. Um That people knew I was different. So they go tell me to do things because they knew I didn't, I didn't know right from wrong. So um, he's very protective and he does not play.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I really love to to hear that dynamic between the two of you. Um, Because what it tells me is, you know, like, we don't have to be perfect to have really meaningful connections with our kids, you know, um, some accountability and taking responsibility for and, and, and owning growth in learning, right. Like can play a really big part in, in our relationship with our kids. So I, I, I just loved hearing that piece about it, you know, um, and it, and it wants me to, you know, uh, give, give myself some more grace and, and my parents too, you know, for, for not understanding this or, or, um, you know, not being, uh, fully equipped, um, uh, to emotionally handle it at all times, whether it was me as a kid with my ADHD or, you know, uh grandkids now with with ASD. You know, so I I really uh love that part of your story and want to just say thank you so much, Ayana, for coming on. I I really I I I was sitting at the edge of my seat and I was just waiting to just like interrupt JJ (laughs) and and bulldoze over at him (laughs) with my questions because this was really exciting for me because like I said, this is a new journey for our family. And uh, there are not a lot of um, proud black women faces out there. So to be able to educate myself and give my daughter um, some of that uh, means a lot to me. So so thank, thank you, you so for, much. Yeah, thank you for coming on and, and taking the time out, uh, out to do this today. I, I really got a lot from it. And I hope JJ and our listeners did, too.
1: Thank you, and it doesn't interrupt my to do list. I still have plenty of time to get everything done.
0: <laughs> great, great. <laughs> well,
2: can I can I ask one more question, Diana? Um I, I, I had this one question that I, you know, I, I apologize if it's maybe a little bit too generic, but uh, is there a message to the world that that you can think of that needs to be heard, felt, and repeated?
1: Um, yes. Um, tune down the ignorance, you know, and and open your mind. Um, everybody's different, not just every autistic person is different, everybody in the world is different, no two people are the same, even identical twins are different, and people are like, no, identical twins are absolutely, no, even identical twins are different, no two people in the world are different, Um, you know, your differences is what make you beautiful, so tune down the ignorance, and open your mind, you never know, like, who you're missing out on, just because you're being ignorant,
2: there's a There's a hip hop group that uh, their album I just love the title of it is it's unique, just like everyone else <laughs> and I appreciate that because you're right. everybody brings something special to the world and I love your lens yeah. it's It's a beautiful lens that not only did you did you use for advocacy, but you know how to create something beautiful in front of you, whether it's on a canvas, you know on a shirt or just as thank as you. part of your part of your message. so I really honor that
1: thank you so much.
0: I love that message because uh, I think, you know, I think every time we end an episode, we always hammer home a theme. And I think the most common repeated theme that we hammer home is curiosity. You know, if if JJ and I had to boil our, our dad coaching down to, to one, the most important thing, I think that that's what we talk about most on this podcast is curiosity, you know, and, and being open to the world and to emotions and in people's opinions, so thank you for saying that and sharing that uh that's very powerful uh is before we go is there anything that you know if people want to get in touch with you or ask you questions or uh just connect with you in any sort of way is there somewhere where where they can go to do that
1: i'm sure i'm i'm all over social media if you want to connect with me it's phenomenally autistic all across social media um, I have an Amazon author page where all of my books are um, that I've illustrated. Um, if they're not up there, that just means they're out of print. Um, but I'll be putting some new stuff up there soon. But it's phenomenally autistic, my Amazon author page. But anywhere that there's a social media that I have an account, it's phenomenally autistic.
0: Great, and not to worry, guys. We'll have all that information in the show notes for you, and, and how to connect with Ayana, and, and some links to some of her books and stuff too, if, if they're not already taken off the shelves. So, uh, thank you very much, Ayana, for all of this information and for your time and just your beauty. Please continue just radiating in the world um, and doing what you do because it's it's vitally important to give voices and faces. Um, to other little girls, you know, and, uh, other little girls of color and and other people, uh, going through this process. So, so thank you for doing what you do. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate your support and you can connect with us, uh, by going to our homepage at the Uh, you can sign up for our email list there and you can get some of our resources that we've created for you guys to you know, uh, be more intentional fathers and help connect with your kids and your wives and loved ones and spouses. So we do that. Reach out to us. We love to hear from you. Uh, Thank you again, Ayana. This has been the ADH Dads and I'm your host, CJ. I'm JJ. And we'll see you next week. Thanks.